When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Day three of the NFL draft and the Minnesota Vikings, of course, own day three with all sorts of picks. They entered the day with 13 and then they traded a couple. I don't want to go over it because that's a waste of time. I want to get right into breaking down each pick with you. So let's just get right into it and you can drop your messages and questions in the chat box and I will try to answer as many as I can as I go through these selections for the Minnesota Vikings. So I did my research on each one, listened to the conference calls for each one, and I I feel like we've got a lot of interesting things to talk about. Now right off the bat, when we talk about day three picks, you're trying to go one of two directions. It's either somebody who has a really high ceiling that might eventually become a very, very good player or someone that had great production in college and could surprise you. So I'll I'll give you the two prime examples of that along the defensive line because the Vikings spent a good amount of draft capital on the defensive line today. So uh, the two examples of each extreme would be someone like Daniil Hunter, and you don't ever expect him to become that good, but a freakish athlete who didn't have the best production in college and needed a lot of technique work and had very high character. So, you know, they liked that he would have the potential to develop into a star because of his athletic profile. And obviously he has become a superstar. Now they've Picked other guys that did not become superstars who had similar athletic profiles, but it's rolling the dice, and every once in a while you hit on one and you get a home run draft pick. Now, the other style of type of player is you get somebody that has great production in college but maybe doesn't fit all of the athletic traits perfectly. They also drafted guys like that that have experience playing at a high level or very high character and you might have a shot that that player overachieves or finds a way to overcome some athletic shortcomings uh, to also be good because they're a football player. They have great instincts, great knowledge of the game, and and they can become that way. So let me ask uh, answer a couple of questions here first, and then I'll get right into the picks. Tyler Johnson not being picked on day three. There must be a reason that the Vikings were not that interested. Uh, they did not draft a bunch of receivers. They only drafted K.J. Osborne, uh, was the only playmaker on day three. I liked Tyler Johnson. I can't specifically tell you why they didn't. Um, I watched a lot of his games with the Gophers. He had great separation. I think that the drops got overplayed. I think he had really good hands, ability to go up and get it. Um, but maybe they felt like because they got Justin Jefferson as a slot guy that they saw Tyler Johnson as being similarly also a player 
that likely needs to be in the slot in the NFL because he doesn't have the greatest speed uh, and, and may have trouble getting off the line of scrimmage against big corners. That's a possibility. That's just my guess is that they felt like they already had someone like that and other slot uh, wide receivers like Chad Beebe, who you know did not play much last year because of an injury, but they still like the potential that he could be a slot receiver. So maybe that's why, that they just didn't feel like he was their guy or that he would have enough special teams ability. And that is something that does get factored in when you're talking about uh, later on is can he play special teams? But when he goes to the Bucks, you say, all right, well, this is just a guarantee that Tom Brady's going to throw him a bunch of footballs, right? But we'll see how it plays out. I like Tyler Johnson just as much as you guys do. Um, so we'll, we'll find out if he ends up, uh, you know, overcoming his draft status and becoming a good player in the NFL, I do think there is a possibility. Um, you know, another comment here, uh, does Rick know that he can actually trade up? Yeah, um, and it's always funny to just trade back and accumulate and accumulate and accumulate, but, you know, I'll give you some, you know, some players that they have accumulated these seventh rounders that have become pretty decent. You know, Stephen Weatherly, J. Ron Curse was by no means perfect, but he contributed uh, and probably could have contributed even more, in my opinion, with his skill set. And was you found a player that developed and Afadi Adenabo uh, is a good shot, you know, a good player that has a shot to start. So you look for those guys. They're only one in 10, but if you have 10 picks, uh, you might be able to find it. Um, let's see, just uh, some other questions here about interior offensive line. Yeah, uh, they really did not in this draft invest a whole lot on the offensive line outside of Ezra Cleveland. But, you know, they also did last year with Drew Samia as a fourth round pick who I think has a chance to possibly um, compete for a, a shot at the starting job. They've also got Brett Jones, Dakota Dozier, and maybe – uh, along with Pat Elfline, who it's not a guarantee that Elfline is gone because he's still under contract and they haven't cut him or moved on yet. Um, so they might have Ezra Cleveland play left guard and then have an open competition at right guard and go from there and continue to try to develop those guys. I also feel like they could have gone interior offensive line a little more, but it was clear that they knew they needed to rebuild the secondary and defensive line uh, as well. Uh, yeah, the the pick of the wide receiver, K.J. Osborne, I'm going to get into, but uh, Proach, I think is how you uh, pronounce it, did have amazing production and uh, it was an interesting guy for me. But it's always hard to put a finger exactly on why they go with this receiver or that receiver. There were guys like K.J. Hill and Donovan Peoples-Jones that some projected as second or third round picks, and those guys fell all the way to the back of the draft. And it just confuses me sometimes because Peoples-Jones – has an unbelievable athletic profile. And K.J. Hill was the opposite where he was really good at Ohio State, maybe not the fastest guy, but is excellent in terms of his route running and his quickness and things like that. So sometimes it's hard to put a finger on, but we'll go through all of those picks. Um, and just one more question here uh, about Joe Thune. It seems like the answer is no, but since uh, that they won't trade for him, uh, since they drafted Cleveland and, and there's a good shot, that he can play guard right away, Cleveland, and then eventually move out uh, to play the tackle position. But uh, you know they would have to find a way to try to um, you know create that cap space if that was going to happen. So Riley Reef, we know, is going to be still at left tackle, I believe, for next year. Because um, I don't think Ezra Cleveland is a guy that you plan on playing at left tackle right away. So I think that's still going to happen. And Anthony Harris, it feels 
like Anthony Harris is going to sign a contract extension and be with this team uh, for a while. So uh, I'm getting questions on these specific players. So I'm just going to start diving right into them. So let's go with DJ Wanham. Now you guys can tell me if you uh, like the puns or not that I put out on Twitter. You know, like it was very clear that they want him on the team. DJ Wanham. No? Okay. I don't want everybody to log off at once. So I won't continue with that. But this is the exact type of player that the Vikings are looking for to become uh, you know, a developmental player, get under the coaching of Andre Patterson and grow and grow and grow year after year to eventually become a great player. Someone who can not just be good, but has the athletic ability to potentially be a starter in the NFL, which if you draft someone from the fourth round on and they eventually become a starter, then you've hit an absolute home run with that pick. And DJ Wanham is you know somebody who has the athletic potential to do that. If you put him right up against Daniil Hunter in terms of their height, their width, their 40 time, and the athletic profile, they're very similar, which you shouldn't compare them as players because Daniil Hunter is truly special. But when you're trying to say, all right, what works? What might fit for what Andre Patterson feels like he can develop? This is a guy who played against good competition, with incredible athleticism, 34-inch arms, which usually belong to an offensive tackle. So now let's see if we can bring him in, and let's see if we can develop him along to be one of those good players. I would not expect Wanham to be a huge impact player right away, but as we go through the season, maybe he grows and things like that and becomes a rotational rusher. I think that's what you're looking for at the defensive end position. And some of these draft picks really point to them wanting guys who can be de- uh, be contributors right away and also developmental players at the same time. So think about what we saw from Armin Watts last year. And he didn't play a whole lot, but then there was an injury. He got in, and all of a sudden, he flashed something that he might have an ability to eventually be a starter, and now you have hope for him going into year two. So I, you know, I, I think that you're looking for someone sort of similar with DJ Wanham, where if he contributes as a rotational rusher in year one, that's a big win. And then he grows and grows and grows and eventually becomes your starting right defensive end. That would be the ultimate goal when you draft someone with his athletic profile. Now, the next guy is kind of exactly the opposite. Uh, That is James Lynch. So DJ Wanham did not produce a whole heck of a lot in terms of sacks and pressures at South Carolina. Had a couple of good games. Uh, One of them was against Georgia that impressed the Vikings because he was going up against the uh, you know NFL first round tackles and he did a good job but overall his production was not you know, through the roof DJ Wanham the next guy on the list in the fourth round James Lynch his production was through the roof 13 and a half sacks and he reminds me a lot of someone like Afadi Adenabo who is a tweener you're not sure whether he's going to play the defensive end or interior and if you look at his college numbers and where he lined up uh, James Lynch lined up all over the place. Sometimes he was right over the guard and center, and sometimes he was on the outside. And all he did um, at Baylor was just sack and pressure the quarterback. He had one of the best pressure rates of anybody in the draft. And when you look at his explosive numbers at the combine, they were solid. Not necessarily his 40-yard dash, but his 10-yard split and his broad jump and things like that. And I think there's a good opportunity for James Lynch to be that guy 
who at 270 pounds, like about a Tom Johnson sized player, um, could line up consistently over a guard on third down situations right away and maybe become even more of a player for them uh, other than that. But I think you draft him with the hope that he could be a third down rusher. So you guys remember what they did with um, Hercules Mata'afa last year, where they hoped that he would come in as an undersized guy and be a situational pass rusher and succeed that way because he had put up big numbers in college. Well, Lynch is the bigger version of that. Mata Afa came in at somewhere around 250, and they weren't sure if he was going to be a linebacker or a rusher, and then he ends up in, inside. Uh, they thought he might be outside, and, and it was not really clear what he was going to play because of his size. Well, so I think this is more clear that James Lynch is going to play as an inside rusher that rotates in, um, and, and he's a guy that uh, came up in his last year and just started producing a lot of pressures and a lot of sacks. So he falls into the category of being very interesting for the Vikings right away uh, to be able to compete for some playing time there because Shamar Stefan last year, as good as he is on first down, on third and short, that's really where you want him. I, I don't think you want Shamar Stefan playing every down because he only had six pressures all last season. It's just not what he does. He's much more of a run stuffer. So if you have Shamar Stefan and James Lynch mixes in and Armin Watts mixes in, you can have some good production and fill that position, even though you don't have a Sheldon Richardson who's playing every down. So let's go on to the next guy here. Now, this was one where I'm sure a lot of you, and I kind of did too, went, hmm, what's up with this guy? Why would they draft a linebacker here still in the fourth round? That was Troy Dye, linebacker from Oregon. And, you know, I've got a few theories on this. Number one theory is that you know this is a, a player who they would have had highly ranked on their board potentially that fell, so they decided, well, let's just take him. Regardless of position, make it a BPA type of situation. Best player available, it's this guy. Uh, Pro Football Focus had Troy Dye ranked as their fifth best linebacker in the entire draft. So if the Vikings also had him high, you take him, and then you figure out how you're going to use him. There's another theory I have, though, beyond just – he was the best player available. And it's that if you look around the league, what the Vikings are doing, what the Ravens are doing, San Francisco using multiple tight ends, using multiple running backs, a running back, a fullback, these big formations, and then running play action out of them, the counteract to that is a big nickel or a linebacker who's really fast, really quick, and a little bit undersized. And uh, Troy Dye is only 224 pounds. So that's borderline a safety right there. But if you have a similar type of thing that they wanted J. Ron Kirst to become, where you are a hybrid type of linebacker or a linebacker that could come in in some past situations when you have uh, opposing teams using multiple tight ends, that gives you an advantage. Think about what they did to Philadelphia last year, where Philadelphia had three linebackers in the whole game. So the Vikings kept running play action, taking shots to Stephon Diggs and getting their linebackers to come up and pay more attention to uh, Delvin Cook. Well, it gives you a little bit of that flexibility there, even though you know that you have Anthony Barr and Eric Hendricks in place. And uh, Eric Wilson is a really good linebacker, and they're keeping Eric Wilson. I think that's a smart idea. Um, so Dye is down on, on the depth chart here, but if Eric Wilson plays more of that role next year, and then eventually Eric Wilson goes in free agency, or they make some sort of other move like, 
trading Anthony Barr or something like that down the road as his salary cap gets pretty interesting. Then you've got another player with potential to develop over a couple of years. And that is one of the hardest things for all of us to understand with day three is that they are not drafting day three for 2020. They're drafting day three for 2021, 2022. So if you bring in Troy Dye because he is a playmaker, which is what their director of college scouting, uh, Jamal Stevenson said, this guy is a playmaker. So if you bring in a playmaker who excels on special teams, shows you some things in practice in year one, and then can fill in or fill a a specific type of role in certain circumstances. He shows out in preseason. Then you might change plans down the road and look at him a little bit differently. And worst case scenario, he becomes your Kentrell brothers. That's a worst case scenario is that he's a really good uh, special team player. And that's got some value to it, but that is the worst case scenario with Troy died. The best case scenario is that eventually you make a change with what you have at linebacker because he has impressed you so much, or he plays a significant role where he's in for 25, 30% of snaps and he's giving you a kind of a hybrid look. All right, let's move on to the next guy, Harrison Hand here from Temple. Now he has a couple of interesting things about him. Uh, the number one is that he was a corner, but he kind of has a safety build. He ran a four-five-two and has a forty-one-inch vertical. That kind of sounds like a playmaking safety type of guy. Um, but he went to Temple, had a couple of interceptions there, and uh, you know is not somebody that you look at as a super high ceiling type of player, but maybe somebody that develops as a backup, develops as a backup safety. Uh, this is one of those taking a shot at another corner that you like, that you, as the Vikings, Zimmer watches on tape and says, you know, I like how this guy plays, or maybe we could develop him at this different position and we can see what happens there. Harrison Hand is not someone that has some freakish athletic ability that would really wow you. Uh, and you would say, hey, keep an eye on this guy because he could become the next this, that, or the other thing. I just think that they needed to fill out the safety room. They had no one. They lost uh, Anderson Dejo and Jaron Curse in free agency, leaving Anthony Harris, Harrison Smith, and question marks for next year. So they got a couple of guys down here on the board um, that have a chance to become your Jaron Curse, the developmental player who can fill in at any time if someone's hurt and maybe have some sort of hybrid role. And we'll get to another guy that can be that way. And maybe Harrison Hand becomes a a, a straight-up corner. It just seems like he profiles more as a guy that could be, um, you know, a a safety eventually. Or, you know, if he becomes a backup corner, then again, you've got a win if he becomes a backup corner and you've drafted him at this point. Now, this is the guy that I've gotten the most questions on so far, K.J. Osborne from Miami, because there were other receivers on the board, including K.J. Hill at the time that a lot of people wondered, uh, hey, why, you know, why aren't they drafting that guy that was good at the Senior Bowl or that I've heard about for someone like K.J. Osborne that uh, on a lot of draft boards was not anywhere near a top 100 player or even a top 150 player? Well, I did some digging on this one, and I found out that there's a few things that they really, really love about K.J. Osborne. Number one is that he can punt return, and he was a punt returner at Miami. He also went there and got playing time right away after starting at the University of Buffalo, and that's not always something you see that often is someone going from a lower-level program in the MAC 
to jumping up to a, a bigger level program and then being one of their top players. So they like that about KJ Osborne. They like his potential as maybe a slot receiver who can do some things with the ball in his hands. But they also really liked his character, which I know for some of you is kind of an eye roll, but that would be exactly what I was telling you last year about BC Johnson, that later in these rounds, sometimes they take somebody that did not have blow you away athleticism, did not have blow you away uh, production in college, but they really believe in the guy that they think if they get the guy in here and they give him a chance that he's going to work very hard or that he's highly intelligent, has great football IQ, and he has a chance to outwork his draft status. And if there's any team that knows a lot about players that outwork their draft status at the wide receiver position, it's the Minnesota Vikings. They seem to get their biggest hits on the guys that they draft later or that they don't draft at all. So that is my explanation on K.J. Osborne. They felt like he's a special human being and that he has a chance uh, to surprise everybody, and at very least, that he could become a good punt returner. And if you remember last year, the punt returning situation was pretty much a mess. Like Marcus Sherrills was here, and then he wasn't, and then nobody else could do it, so they brought him back, and then they cut him again. (laughs) I mean, it's just, you know, they need to find somebody who can replace Marcus Sherrills long-term and be a quality punt returner. So that's my take on KJ Osborne, Blake Brandel, six foot seven, and this guy can pass block. Uh, now, his athleticism, the traits, they don't exactly match up with what you see from the star left tackles, but his pass blocking numbers are ridiculous for this year at Oregon State. This is from Pro Football Focus. He allowed five quarterback pressures in 473 passing snaps and got a 90-plus grade from Pro Football Focus, had the best pressure allowed grade of any college tackle. Um, It's just that he's not somebody that has those type of freakish athletic traits. He was not going to run a 4-9 at six foot seven and 300 and whatever pounds at the NFL combine. He wasn't invited to the NFL combine. But when you see somebody this late in the draft who had so much success playing at a pretty big program and is a massive human being, uh, and also talking to him, you could really tell that he loves the game. And, and I don't mean, you know, that in the sort of John Gruden-y cliche, you know, this is a guy who loves the game type of thing. But I mean somebody who's very interested in all the technique points of the game. So he wants to improve his pass sets. He wants to study other guys. He was talking about how he studied Jake Long, even when he was growing up and really loved watching Jake Long play. So that's the type of character type of thing that the Vikings would be interested in. Someone who is a real football junkie that has excellent technique and maybe can overcome the athletic shortcomings and become a swing tackle. I'll tell you who's exactly like this is their current swing tackle, Rashad Hill. Same exact type of thing. He is not going to beat anybody in a foot race, but he is big and long, and he's a very intelligent guy, and that allows him to play as a swing tackle on both sides and really be a success story in the NFL after not even being drafted and being on Jacksonville's practice squad. So you could see the same type of curve for Blake Brandle. And I know that some of you might think, well, gosh, if the guy's ceiling is a swing tackle, then why bother? Well, because a swing tackle could be pretty valuable, I think. And uh, so you get one like that, and maybe there's even a chance he becomes better than that down the road. A long shot, sure, but if he does, uh, you're surprised. 
But also, I think you're making the, the right decision with the process to say that guys who are technicians have a good chance of finding at least some success and giving you some value. Now, our next guy is a player that I am really intrigued by because of where he played and the numbers he put up, and his athletic profile is very good too. Josh Metellus from Michigan is a, a very good athlete and can stop the run. Good coverage grades for Pro Football Focus. Uh, they uh, pointed out that he allowed only 50% completion percentage and 68 quarterback rating on throws in his direction. So Metellus uh, is a guy who has played in multiple different positions. Like we talked about with Antoine Winfield Jr. and Xavier McKinney, he was that for Michigan, playing all over the field, playing in the box, playing in the slot, sometimes outside, and as the deep free safety. Um, and he did a little bit of everything for them. He was a guy that would blitz. He was the guy that would play some man-to-man, play some deep. And, and Metellus might be your what we dreamed J. Ron Curse could eventually become which is some type of versatile piece for you. And I think there's a possibility of that um, with Josh Metellus. And I'm sorry that it's really sunny behind me in the, uh, the, the windows coming through. I don't know what to do about that. But, um, you know, um, Metellus is a guy that played at a very high level, which I always think is a good thing. If you play in the Big Ten, you play in the SEC, that you've got a chance to adapt quickly because of the caliber of, uh, you know, offenses that you would have played against, what you've seen, the football IQ required to play for those types of teams. So they come away with him uh, as as someone who could possibly step in uh, as a role player in the first year or a special teams player who could develop. Now, uh, the question in in the uh, comments here, could he replace Harrison Smith? I mean, I wouldn't say that. Um, for just about anybody, and I'll shift this a little bit to try and you know stop the sun, but it doesn't look like I'm going to succeed with that. Glad it's really nice out today, though. But uh, you know, I don't I don't see anybody as a replacement for Harrison Smith that's getting drafted at this point. But you hope with their history of developing safeties who have been drafted late or who are undrafted, um, their history is is so good there that you have a, a possibility that he could become like a J. Ron Curse or like an Andrew Sandejo, uh, where you know he ends up being a, a quality player who contributes for you. Um, yeah, okay, I'm being told to move a little to the left. How's that? I think that's a little bit better. I, I'm sorry about that. I didn't expect the sun to start going down and be right in my face, but I, I appreciate your help there. So that's Josh Metellus, a, a guy that uh, stuck out to me, very interesting, um, as someone who could eventually develop into that role player and then – if you are lucky enough, um, then he becomes something more than that. I don't know if he has the athletic gifts to be something more than that or not. Um, but, uh, you know, he at the Senior Bowl, he was um, going and doing one-on-one drills as a cornerback to prove to everybody that he could be that type of player, that he could, um, you know, cover people one-on-one and, and, and do more than just play a box or, or a deep safety, but even play a corner position if if needed. So that's, you know, um, something that intrigues me at least a little bit uh, as an instant contributor or somebody who can win a job in that safety room. Now, uh, I am sorry for my pronunciation. If I get it wrong, it's uh, Kenny Willikies, right? Uh, If I get that wrong, someone help me from Michigan State. And what I've discovered here from old Kenny is that uh, he is 
a strong guy and is very good uh, against the run. So he kind of throws offensive tackles when you see the highlights, and he is a hard worker, uh, one of those guys that has the motor, uh, you know, and, and, and might not have the athletic traits, but has the production that you really like. Nine sacks last year, 39 combined pressures and hits, according to Pro Football Focus. And so what you, you got now in your room is you have one guy who is extremely high ceiling, but you're not sure if he can truly develop and, and has uh, the, the technical ability and so forth. Um, then you have another guy in James Lynch that it, it has the huge, huge production that might be an inside player. And then Kenny Wilkies, who some people had as a third round draft pick that could have gone uh, even late day two because of the amount he produced and how much they like his his makeup and his build as a player as somebody who kind of never stops going and already overcame being a walk-on to Michigan. And you like to see that uh, from players that they've already done something in their past that was really impressive, that they were, you know, if you get a late-round pick, somebody who's a walk-on and has already sort of forced their way in um, to be good at a very high level at Michigan State. So that's just kind of a guy to watch as they compete and what they've done here is that they've put a bunch of people with potential on the defensive line. And this is a good model for the Vikings. I mean, when you look at the players that they've discovered or developed who are uh, or have been in the Mike Zimmer era on their defensive line, you start with Everson Griffin. He's a fourth-round draft pick who develops into one of the best players in the entire NFL. And then you know you, you go on to Daniel Hunter, who's a third-round pick. Tom Johnson, even Shamar Stephan. He's not the best defensive tackle, but a guy who in 2017 played 30% of snaps, he was a seventh-round draft pick too. So I think that taking those shots on guys who are in the seventh round later on, they're either really athletic or they have really high motors and they care a lot and they're going to work hard and they did well in college but might not have an athletic gift, that is a model for success. But you have to draft a bunch of them. Like, you know, your Ade Aruna, who they drafted a few years ago, doesn't work out at all, but your Afadi Adenabo really does, and your Stephen Weatherly really does as well. So we'll see which one of these guys turns out, but they're going to have good competition there in camp. Now, anytime a team drafts a quarterback, we all go, what does it mean? Quarterback, Kirk Cousins, he's coming for your job, um, which I understand when they draft Nate Stanley. The reason they drafted Nate Stanley is because the UDFA market, undrafted free agent, is um, a cluster bleep, to put it lightly. I mean, with all these teams doing the draft, I thought it worked out really well to have them on the conference calls, and ESPN's production was great, and it seemed like everything went off pretty much without a hitch. But the UDFA market becomes much more challenging with everybody separated and things like that. So normally, in the past few years, the Vikings have found a UDFA quarterback that they really liked. So Jake Browning put up great numbers at, I think it was Washington. And you had Taylor Heineke, who had record-setting numbers at Old Dominion. So you bring that guy in, you see what he's got, and uh, you know maybe he becomes a future backup or something like that. So they would have done that had Nate Stanley not uh, found a spot, but it, they might have been concerned he would have signed somewhere else. So you take him and you hope that he develops eventually into your backup quarterback. I think that that is the, the best case scenario for Nate Stanley. I mean, you look at his numbers, you look at his skill set. He's not a great athlete, but he's run 
a system that was similar to what the Vikings have. And uh, he talked about that on his conference call that Gary Kubiak sort of went over some of the basics of a Kubiak offense and how they're similar. So you hope that Nate Stanley wins the job as the number three quarterback or is on the practice squad for next year and eventually becomes a very cheap backup quarterback. You know, And if he becomes anything more than that, you are very surprised. But, um, you know, I think that's kind of your best case scenario is that he becomes a very cheap backup quarterback for a couple of years uh, with Nate Stanley. Um, so, you know, don't, don't get too concerned about that. I also see, you know, maybe you're joking in the comments about cousins being threatened. I mean, this is Kirk cousins. I think people really don't appreciate that the guy does have mental toughness. I mean, he was put in about the worst situation in the world in Washington with RG three over his shoulder and then the fans wanting RG three and, and the organization clearly not wanting cousins. And all he did was Excel. So, you know, I mean, he became an $84 million quarterback with somebody over his shoulder. I don't think he's going to be super concerned with, you know, Nate Stanley. I mean, you want um, other guys who can potentially step in as backups and win half the games if your starter gets hurt. So you have to make sure you have somebody you trust. And uh, this isn't an organization that can pay backups a whole heck of a lot. Now, I do agree with uh, Christian there in the comments that Tyler Huntley might have been a more interesting option. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I agree with that, that Tyler Huntley was someone that stuck out to me. Um, I think it was probably Stanley's familiarity with the system um, playing in a similar style at Iowa that attracted them to him rather than Huntley, who might have had potentially a higher ceiling, but he's also not a Kirk Cousins type of player. Like, you know, Stanley is similar to Cousins, and a lot of times what you want is a a backup quarterback who's similar to your starter so they can step right in. Um, okay, so let's go on to the final couple of picks here. And these I have a lot less information on, to just be honest with you, because when you get down to this low, some of these guys don't even have NFL.com draft profiles. Uh, Kyle Hinton from Washburn, um, a noticeably quick 40 for a guard. That's what I got for you on Kyle Hinton. We'll see. I mean, when you get to – the very end of the draft, it's hard to find too much uh, statistical breakdown, scouting breakdown on somebody, but, um, you know, a guard who might fit their system that you know, who knows on, right? And I think he probably, you hope that he makes the practice squad at first. And uh, Brian Cole, the second, another safety that they take a shot on. He's a big guy. This is another J. Ron Curse. I know I keep bringing his name up, but they, they had high hopes for what J. Ron Curse could become. And I think it just never really worked out with his relationship with uh, Mike Zimmer to be able to get him on the field as much as he possibly could have. So Brian Cole, the second six foot two played a hybrid safety type of position. Um, another guy that might contribute as some sort of special team or right away, best case scenario. Um, so I'll, I'll open it up to some of your questions here. I'm sorry if you've been asking them and I haven't been reading enough of them, but um, you know, feel free to jump in here with any day three questions or other questions uh, about the Vikings and what happened in day three of the NFL draft. A couple of things that I can quickly uh, jump on. The uh, report that Trent Williams did not want to come to Minnesota may have actually helped the Vikings in a way. He goes to San Francisco, and that worries you because San Francisco, no doubt, is going to be a contender again next year. And they replaced Joe Staley, who retired, with Trent Williams. And that's uh, pretty good right there. But that's only if Trent Williams is good. Uh, and part of the deal with Minnesota reportedly was that he was going to get 
a um, you know a contract extension, and that concerns me when you're talking about a guy who's about to be 32 years old, has not played 16 games since 2013, has sat out a year. So I think in a way, Trent Williams may have helped them from themselves. Um, Dave asked about a tight end. Yeah, I think they're set on tight end. I mean, you have Kyle Rudolph is going to play at least next year. And then Irv Smith, really, really impressed. And they liked what they saw from Tyler Conklin. Conklin is a guy that they have been shouting out um, for a while as someone who catches the ball when they throw it to him, who can stand in there and block. And they're going to use him a lot, I think, next year. Uh, On Tyler Johnson, in terms of why he did not end up with the Minnesota Vikings, I don't have a hard and fast answer for you. The best I can do is that, he projects to be a slot receiver in the NFL, and they already have a guy, a couple of guys who project as slot receivers, including Justin Jefferson, their first-round pick. Um, now, I personally like Tyler Johnson a ton, and I think that you want as many guys who can come in and catch the football as you can possibly find. Um, so, yeah, I mean, maybe he they just didn't feel like he was a fit. I think fit is a, a massively big deal to these teams that we don't always factor in when we say, why didn't you draft that guy? You should have. And they would say, well, you know, we just don't see that he is the right fit. I liked him. I think he could separate from cornerbacks. I think he could go up and get it. But, you know, there's also the element of, you know, they feel like he's a special teamer. And maybe during the draft process, if he had gotten to have a pro day, they would have been a little more interested. Um, question from Christian, is Riley Reef much better than Ole Udo? The answer at this point would be hugely yes. Oh my gosh, yes. I mean, Riley Reef. I think some of you are too hard on Riley Reef. that he is a mid-pack tackle who's probably a little bit better than average, and that is a good thing. Like, last year, tackles were not the problem with the Minnesota Vikings for why they could not protect the passer. Some nights they were. Certainly when you go up against Khalil Mack, that was a major issue for the Vikings in Chicago for that one game. Uh, But who doesn't struggle against Khalil Mack every time they go up against him? That's why he's one of the best players in the NFL. So, yeah, I mean, Riley Reef is toward the end of his career, and, uh, you know, they drafted someone to replace him. But for one more year, I think you're still in good shape with Riley Reef, that he's solid. Ole Udo is 100% a project tackle who – could eventually down the line be a swing tackle and be what Rashad Hill is to you. Um, But we're talking about somebody who was drafted in the sixth round um, that is very unlikely to be a starter, much less be as good as Riley Reef, who's had a a solid NFL career. So um, I I agree in the comments with David. Elfline was the biggest issue. The interior pass rush for sure um, was a, a major problem. And that's one of the reasons that I like the Ezra Cleveland pick. Not only is, does he have the potential to be a long-term tackle, uh, left tackle, and start for you there with Brian O'Neill on the right side for a very long time and be set in that position, but also um, you know, Ezra Cleveland might be able to step in at left guard. And, and then you have Dakota Dozier or Drew Samia or Alfline if he wins the job and, and shows some improvement, but I still wouldn't really be uh, interested in that. Um, so uh, if you have any more questions, throw them out there. Um, but uh, and that's kind of the breakdown of day three and what the Vikings came away with. If we're asking any major questions, I guess it would be, you know, should they have spent a little bit more draft capital on interior offensive linemen? Maybe they could have. Should they have gotten, you know, more potential weapons? 
behind Kirk Cousins, maybe. Um, but it's hard for me to criticize with a defense that lost so many pieces on the defensive line and a corner, and then they went out and backup safeties, and then they went out and they got backup safeties and they got defensive linemen and they got corners who might be good. Um, to the question of Cleveland playing guard in year one, you know, I don't know how often guys do that. Um, probably not all the time, but, you know, I think he, he has the athletic profile to be able to do it and the size to maybe be better in pass protection. I mean, it would hard to not be better in pass protection than what they were last year. So his, his athleticism gives him a shot that if you have somebody that isn't an elite athlete offensive lineman, asking them to play guard at first is is probably pretty darn tough. Um, but someone like him, who is an elite athlete for the tackle spot, uh, could be able to do that. And, and you know, also, uh, Rick Dennison and Gary Kubiak are kind of known for being able to get a lot more out of guys than uh, – usually you might expect with, with their experience and the way that they run the system. So I'm, I'm leaving the door open as a possibility that they would try him there at first and maybe it could happen. That is not a sure thing, especially with how weird this offseason is about to be. Uh, Thad Moss, yeah, maybe he made the wrong call coming out, right? I, I think that he had a chance to stay for another year and decided to come out. But I think that teams did not see the potential, like a high-end potential, from Thad Moss as a pass catcher, and uh, that's why he ends up not getting drafted uh, as a tight end, that he's more of a blocker at the NFL level. And if you're the Vikings, you just you just don't have a spot for that. I mean, you really have your three tight ends all locked down, and maybe you could fit a, an undrafted free agent fourth tight end, but you know, it, it's hard for me to see a spot in terms of all the needs on the Vikings' entire roster. Tight end was probably last. Um, so, yep, they probably could have uh, drafted some more interior offensive linemen. You know, I could see why people wanted Tyler Johnson at that Moss. But I think overall, the Vikings had a strong day on day three uh, on the defensive line, which they needed to start rebuilding. And then in the secondary as well, where they got several players, not just one, but multiple players who could possibly be um, – you know, uh, guys who end up playing that hybrid type of role. Um, did the Packers make up any ground is a good question. I don't think so. Now, I didn't. I was paying much more close attention to the Vikings and on conference calls and things like that. So I only saw that they didn't pick a wide receiver, which was like, what? Um, you know, a very, very strange draft for the Green Bay Packers. And uh, to, to look at how each team did, uh, the Lions probably got better. Chicago probably didn't get any better with what they did. Jalen Johnson was a good pick for Chicago, and Green Bay might have gone backwards uh, at the draft. So you know, it, it was a win for the Vikings, not only with how they did in their first two rounds, but from what the Packers didn't do also helped them as well. Uh, to Tim, to your question, Courtney Crow and I will be doing a podcast version uh, shortly after this, later on tonight, where we talk about um, not just what the Vikings did in her favorite picks, but also breaking down um, all the other all the other things that happened, like more in depth on the Trent Williams situation. Also, Philly traded for Marquise Goodwin, you know, stuff like that. Uh, to Chad's question, did the offensive line get any better in this draft? Only if Ezra Cleveland can play guard. Um, but did they get better long term? I believe so. Anybody can be a success. Anybody can be a bust. Some guys like Matt Khalil were great in their first year and ultimately became a bust. So predicting the future is not something that any of us are great at, but 
Um, in theory, when you take someone with that type of athleticism, that they become your Brian O'Neill, where they can potentially overcome some of the technical shortcomings right away, and they can help out on the offensive line as, as a potential starter or swing tackle. And then in the future, they can become your starting left tackle. And if that's the case, then uh, they did improve the offensive line, but just not a ton for 2020. I also didn't see a way with the way the board worked out that they could have. Um, getting Cleveland was a win for them, but they weren't going to get one of the top four tackles. So there was really no other way, or Cesar Ruiz, who was the first guard off the board. So there was no other way that they were going to get someone in a very weak guard class that could step in and make a huge difference right away. Overall draft grade. Good question, Oscar. Good question. And a great place to end this so I can go do another podcast uh, with Courtney Cronin. Um, Overall grade. Well, let's see, commenters, what do you have on this? I am going to go, I'll say a B plus for the overall grade for the Vikings. They were patient uh, in the first two rounds. They let the right guys drop to them. They get a corner. They get a receiver. They get, um, you know, an offensive lineman with the potential to be your future left tackle. Those things are all good. And on day three, I am much less harsh on day three because you just don't know. And, and when they, you know, don't pick Tyler Johnson, but they probably have a lot of intel on Tyler Johnson. I just go, okay, well, you know, that there's probably something there that we might not ever find out because that was just something that they discussed for how he fit. Um, but most people are saying somewhere between A- minus and B+. Plus for the overall draft. And I think uh, to Chad's question about why Ezra Cleveland over Josh Jones, the athleticism was a huge deal and how they want their offensive linemen to look with Gary Kubiak and Rick Dennison. Um, so they made uh, some decisions that will impact them on 2020 positively with Jeff Gladney and uh, Justin Jefferson, possibly Ezra Cleveland. If you have three contributors right away, I mean, that's, that's good. You know, that's, that's really good. Um, uh, and the other guys, if, if one or two players that you get on day three ends up being a contributor in the first year, then you have hit a home run. And I think that they have some players that could slide into roles. Like one of these guys will become a defensive pass rusher on the line. Uh, you know, KJ Osborne might become your punt returner right away. If you can have those things click one or two of these players, then you've done a great job and then have others develop through the years. It's just very hard for any of us to say, oh, yeah, well, you know, this guy will definitely work out and become the next you know, Tom Johnson or, or so forth. That, that's, that's hard to know. But I think that their process for which positions they tried to fill out was the right one. And uh, to Peter's question, what does Stanley mean for Jake Browning? It means those two are going to compete. Um, and if Jake Browning is the better third quarterback, then they'll stick with him. And if Nate Stanley is the better one, they'll stick with him. But that, that's the position they're going to be playing. It's not going to be backup. That's still going to be Sean Mannion for next year. And you're looking to develop your future backup, I think. Um, so, uh, you know, thank you for all the grades. Thank you for all the comments, the questions. And, and I think that the lowest grade you could possibly give them was a B based on what they were able to fill. And you could go as high as an A and we'll find out, I think, fairly soon whether Justin Jefferson and Jeff Gladney are going to be able to step right in. And fairly soon means I am 
hopeful that training camp starts on time and a season starts on time and all those uh, types of things. So I wish all of you the best. Please uh, stay safe. Thank you all for listening to Score North, for reading our coverage at scorenorth.com, for listening over the air, for joining this stream. Really appreciate it. It has been a super fun time. And I have enjoyed every bit of from the draft sims to the NFL combine to our draft sims that we would do, uh, you know, on the stream and everything else. Um, You know, they're they're great and they're made great by how you guys interact and things like that. So uh, I appreciate that very much. Look for the podcast with myself and Courtney Cronin that we're going to be recording soon to get her favorite draft picks of day three and coverage of other storylines that happened on day three of the draft. We'll catch you then. Thank you all for listening. This holiday, whether you're making a Baker's Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Baker's has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Get more ways to save at the buy five or more, save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone.